Morning, everyone. Um, do me a favor, will you? Will you give a really, uh, a really special welcome to Pastor Sasha? Um, Alex is with us for the next uh, Alex or Sasha I'm confusing myself Alex either or Alex is with us should do that introduction again Alex is with us for the next month and uh, he showed me a photograph he came, he came to see the place on uh, during the week one, one afternoon during the week when he had just arrived and uh, he showed me a photograph of the some of the renovations that he is doing in his church back in Rudnia. And, uh, and I looked at the photograph and I was like, how on earth did he get a before photograph of this building? So I was looking at it and it was like the same color of walls. This like looked like a similar size, pillars in the middle. Uh, it turned out that it was his church. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't this place at all. But I was really encouraged by that. I just thought, like, isn't that great? For, Alex is with us now for the next month. And I hope my prayer for him is that he would feel at home here. Uh, and even his photograph, showing me that photograph, I think was uh, a sign that um, he's going to be at home with us as he improves his English and, uh, and even offers his expertise and his, his gifting to us here uh, as part of the church and as part of, the, as part of drop-in ministries as well. Uh, you'll notice that uh, there's some people not with us this morning. Uh, Dad and a few of the guys from the castle aren't here because a tree fell down in one of the caravans. Um, so you can be praying about that. The guys had a lot of fun, a lot of drama, I'm sure, this morning. Although I was looking forward to hearing all about the drama, the, f- the only thing that I've heard is the grieving that the Wi-Fi is down. So uh, all the electrics out meant their Wi-Fi is down. You'll also notice Judith's not here. Be praying for Judith, as I'm sharing with you now. Judith is in Port Down Baptist, um, speaking uh, this morning on uh, Home for Good, trying to trying to continue to have the church respond to this uh, increasing need that is in our community and is in our nation. And you know this, I'm sure, but I'm going to keep reminding you We've done, uh, we've done our last session on interceding, and there's 250 kids in Northern Ireland right now that need you to intercede for them, if nothing else. 250 kids that still do not have a home, still do not have a family, still do not have a place they can, um, that they can find comfort and safety and ho- all the basic necessities that we can so take for granted and so intercede for those 250 kids. Um, yeah, so we are uh, we are under the fifth Sunday or fifth value that we've been uh, we've been going through our six values on our Sunday mornings, the start of the year. Look at that! There we are. Simple, um, made our way backwards. Everyone, every day, everywhere. Love, presence, missional, uh, and this morning we're looking at uh, identity. Uh, can I pray? Let me let me pray for us. Before I do this, before we share, I'm going to be really selfish and pray for myself. Father, I am uh, so, uh, so aware of how I need you. Um, each one of us are. God, as I, as I share some stuff this morning, God, I need to hear it again. I need to continue to have this revelation of who you say I am. 
And God, I pray that that be the case for each one of us. God, our hearts would be so open to what you would want to speak deeply into each one of our hearts. God, our minds would be open. God, our, our, just our whole self, our hands are open. God, we position ourselves this morning just to receive what it is that you want to say. What it is that you would even just want to remind us of. In Jesus' name. Just as Jason was closing up our time of worship there, I couldn't help but be reminded of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished, has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. That is who we are. He has lavished his love on us. That, to those of us that are children of God, that is who we are. And then, um, I uh, just as as we were just as we again just as we were worshiping this morning, if there was one message, if there was one thing, one doctrine, one thought, one revelation that I would love that would move from our head to our heart, it would be this one. And we've said some really important things, and we're reluctant to create some sort of hierarchy, but. If there was one thing that I would love that would move from our head to our heart, if there was one thing that would be in, that would, we would increase in wisdom and revelation, as Paul prayed for us, it would be this, I think. That we would know the love that Father has lavished on us, that we are now children of God. That is who you are. And let me just read, let's read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. I I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who's I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room whose favorite chapter is Romans chapter 8. Starts out with there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And for some people in the room, for some people that are following Jesus, maybe not just in this room, but one of the most important things that they could hear, maybe for one of us in the room, the most important thing you will hear this morning is that reminded that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus? And the end of Romans chapter 8 says, reminds us that there is nothing that can separate you from the love, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no condemnation, and nothing can separate you from his love. And in the middle of this chapter, I think is almost this, it feels like a bit of a it feels like a bit of a hinge. It feels like a, like a real central truth in the middle of this all. And it's verse 14 to 17. And if you've been around here for any length of time, I think, I hope you'll be familiar with these verses. Those of us that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those of us that are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by that spirit, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Love those verses. And if we had more time, we could continue to look on at those, what Paul continues to go on with. 
He goes on to say that all of creation is longing for sons and daughters to be revealed. It almost feels to me that this is, this is hugely important because all of creation is longing. All of creation is, 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 is on the edge of their seats waiting for sons and daughters of God to realize and recognize who they are. That there is love that has been lavished on us that we would now be called children of God. That is who we are. And it feels like Paul is reminding us that all of creation is longing that, this, that we would get this, that we would understand this. And so what I think we need to be reminded of again is this, what, what Paul is saying in these, in these central verses in Romans chapter 8. You've received the spirit of sonship, and by that you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This has to be our primary identity. This is our primary identity. And I think our grasp of this changes absolutely everything. Our grasp of this changes absolutely everything that we've already talked about, and I think everything that we, that we will talk about from here on. Like for me, it changes my understanding of church, understanding, understanding who I am as, a, as sons and daughters, who we are as sons and daughters, changes how I see church. It turns out, according to Jesus, that Water is thicker than blood. Because Jesus redefines family. He, re, he redefines family when he says, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? And he looks around the people that, have, that are gathered, that are sitting listening into to him, that, are, that, have, that have given up everything to follow after him. And he says, these are my brothers and sisters. Those that are after the will of God. Those that are wanting to recognize and realize who they are because of what I have done. It changes everything I think about church. It changes everything I think about when it comes to prayer. It changes everything that I think about when it comes to mission. And we've read it again. We talked about it last week for briefly. We are co-heirs with Jesus. Like we're on mission with big brother Jesus. I don't say that irreverently. That's, that's, we are now heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Jesus. This is really important. It's really significant for us. We understand that whenever that is our primary identity, we truly understand that when we go out of this place, we are on a co-mission with Jesus. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And the thing that grieves me, honestly, it, it truly, grieves me and I the enemy we know that he comes to steal he comes to kill and he comes to destroy but he specializes in identity theft like he does comes to steal who we are and he's done it from the very beginning and he continues to do it if he can tear us apart from who we truly are and from what we're called to that is what he's all about that is his primary role. That's what he seems to do best. I've been influenced over the last number of years by a pastor and an author called Jack Frost, who's now gone to be with Jesus. But he has left behind some incredible books, and I commend them to you, particularly Experiencing Father's Embrace. But Jack Frost, I was just struck by this a couple of days ago. He said, before every major revival, there has been a social crisis in the land. 
Then God brings a fresh outpouring of his grace and begins to meet the needs of the social crisis. It's interesting. And I find it interesting because I do believe that, that God is beginning to bring a, 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 a sense of renewal. I don't know how we put our finger on it, but it's just a sense as we gather with people hungering and pursuing the heart of God that feels like we're on the brink of something really important. But Jack, I've just found it interesting that Jack Frost says before that, there has been a major, there has been a social crisis in the land. God brings a fresh outpouring of his grace and begins to meet the needs of the social crisis. And so what I want to suggest, I, like I'm not saying I'm right, but what I'm suggesting is that the social crisis in our land today feels like it's around this area of identity. Like we are, we are a people who are completely confused about who we are. Like we don't have to go into stories today, but there's enough stories in the public arena to see that our understanding of what it is to be a person, what it is to be human is being pulled at. The enemy is trying to tear us apart from who we were created to be and who we truly are. And it feels like there is an identity crisis in our land. And that's why it feels like this message is really important because I think if we begin to grasp who we are, because I also think, and I don't know if the two things are linked or whether it's separate or not, but the social crisis also in our land is around fatherlessness, which I think has a real impact on the identity and how people grown up begin to feel about themselves. The statistics around some of that are heartbreaking. But I think there's a fresh outpouring of the Father heart of God. There's a fresh outpouring of recognizing who we truly are in him and how he truly sees us. That it feels to me that's his outpouring of his grace to begin to meet the social crisis that we face. See, right, we could go again, we could go right back to the beginning. We've done it several times throughout the last number of weeks. We could go right back to the beginning and see the, the very heart of God from the beginning that he would create a people in his own image that would be with him and that would rule and reign alongside him. That was his heart. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and those few verses towards the end of that chapter remind us created in his image his heart from the beginning that we would be with him it was his pattern it seemed to be we read it in Genesis 2 and 3 how he came to walk among them in the cool of the day wanting to know where they went wanting them to know where they are but the enemy had came and, and stole that he had tore them, tore them away from who they were and what they were created for. And the response of Adam and Eve was to hide. The response of Adam and Eve was to go into hiding. And I can speak for myself. With great disappointment, Adam and Eve became my role model. In some ways, they became my role model because then whenever I messed up, 
whenever I did something I shouldn't, said something I shouldn't, thought something really unhealthy, I recognized my shame, recognized that I was naked and I went and I hid. And I feel like I feel like the most important thing for me over the last four or five years is that no matter what I've done, that God is calling me to come out of hiding. He's calling us to come out of hiding and come openly to him, to bring our true selves. And honestly, that was, that was my prayer. David has said that we were here this morning early praying. And I really felt like that was this idea of bringing our true self was something I felt really important for, for me and for us as a church. That we'd be incredibly comfortable to bring our true selves. The, the guys that have been doing the mission school were asked this question by David Legg um, on the first week, I think, that he was there. What have you been taught of the Father? Or what have you experienced of the Father that determines your response when you have sinned? What have you been taught or what have you experienced of the Father that determines your response when you have sinned? And so really quickly, personally for me, I, I became aware about five or six years ago that I was, I was stuck in this, I, th- I call it this dysfunctional cycle. And even though I've been, I've been following, following God, trying to follow God as best as I could for so long, I'm not sure I ever f- had ever fully known him. I knew about God. Like I could quote so many of the doctrines that I, that I encountered and read about throughout the scripture. Now this moment, not that long ago, maybe some of you will be horrified by that, But I felt like I knew about him, but I don't know if I could say that I truly knew him. And I think it was because I never brought my true self. I never brought my true self. So I would have messed up. I would have went into hiding. And it's something like the prodigal son that have came up with a plan. And I came up with some sort of agreement some sort of deal that I would go back to father with and say, God, here's, here's the list of stuff that I'm going to do better. Here's the list of things that I've messed up. I've ran, I've, I've ran from you. I've ran from you. I've made this plan. I'm coming back. And just it became this, just this, this I really do think it was a dysfunctional cycle. I don't know how to pinpoint it. I don't know how to articulate it really well because it was just a—it was just this personal revelation of the heart of the Father. It was this personal revelation of how no matter what I'd done, it didn't change how he seen me. It didn't change the thoughts that he had toward me. He was still pursuing me. His heart for me was that I would come toward him rather than run from him. And that, there's something about that revelation that begins to impact everything. Because there's a difference. 
for me, I began to notice the difference between serving him out of fear or serving him out of love. I do think that there's times that we serve him to appease him. We can serve him to appease him and there is a difference between serving him out of that place and out of love. There's a difference between serving him out of duty and serving him out of delight. For me, it begins, and it's not that it always, it's not that this is always the case. There is moments that I can slip out of this, but it's not, it's not as long to come back toward him, running toward him again. He loves me, and he loves you. And do you know what? This is really simple, but he loves you not because he has to. Like, he doesn't just love you because he has to. Like, he really, he really loves you. He, like, he likes you. Like, he, whenever he created, yeah, he does. He created you. He created you in his own image. Like, he said it was very good. Really, he is really fond of you. And I, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about presence. Maybe we should have done it the right way around. But we can so avoid bringing our true self before him and then we wonder why we lack true intimacy. So honestly, if you're not going to bring your true self, and I think that applies to every relationship actually. If you're not going to bring your true self to your marriage, to your friendships, to your relationship with mom and dad or whoever it is, if you're just bringing your false self, if you're bringing what, what, you're, what you think they expect and not your true self, unwilling to be vulnerable, unwilling to bring all your woundedness, it, was, it, will be, it should come as no surprise that you lack intimacy. So we don't have time this morning. I'm going to try and wrap this up in a few moments. But I think we could talk a lot more around, around the, the role that the imposter plays. See, the imposter, uh, the imposter putting on this false self means we live in fear. We draw our identity from our achievements. We are preoccupied with other people's approval. We are agitated in prayer. We are insensitive to the needs and the dreams of others. We spend time talking about the difference between the imposter and the beloved. And this is my heart for us, something that would go from our head to our heart. Define yourself. How is it that you define yourself? I'm not sure who said it, but this is the quote. Define yourself as one beloved by God. His love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that. And let it become the most important thing in your life. Define yourself as one beloved by God. His love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. I'll not read the full quote from Henry Nguyen. But he pretty much says that self-rejection is the biggest hindrance to the spiritual life. Self-rejection the biggest hindrance to the spiritual life. And I'm rushing through that because I just want to talk about 
the Apostle John for a moment. John chapter 13. Again, this could this uh, warrants more of our time, but let's let me read just verse twenty three, uh, verse twenty two, just to lead into it. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. Speaking of what Jesus was talking about, uh, Judas, and then one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. And then verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Leaning back on his chest, there's some of the versions say, like resting his head on the chest of Jesus. Reclining back, leaning back against Jesus. Acknowledging himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And what if, you're, if you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll see that John and the rest of them, they frustrated Jesus at times. They got it wrong so often. But something had happened in those, in those few years that almost that didn't matter when John came to define himself. Even though he'd got it wrong, even though he'd frustrated Jesus, how he defined himself for the rest of his life, and I think from this moment, was as the one whom Jesus loved. And again, without getting hyper-spiritual, I think that's why our times of prayer and what we're learning in this prayer course are becoming incredibly important for us. Because I think that's what we're after. We're after leaning into Jesus and hearing the heart of God. Jason led us in that song, Come and Tear the Veil. Like, let me hear the voice of heaven tell me of the Father's hopes and dreams. And as we lean into Jesus, as we rest on his chest and listen to the heart beat of heaven, like, imagine. And, and I think John experienced that. And that's why that there was no other way that he was going to define himself for the rest of his life than the one whom Jesus loved. And I think it was such a defining moment for John that whenever we're coming to the end of John chapter 20, he wants to remind us once again, John chapter 20 verse, or sorry, John chapter 21 verse 20, it said, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And if uh, your version is anything like mine, in brackets, it said this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And usually usually there's be lines in brackets. I can just ignore them and, and uh, gloss over them. But there's something about reading that line this week that just like, for whatever reason, just, I know like I can be an emotional person, but it just floored me. I just like found myself weeping at the fact that this was such a defining moment for John. 
we so we like we get caught up in so much, and rightly so at times, we get caught up in the all that's going on in that moment in John chapter thirteen. But we zoom into the life of John, and we see that this def- this was a defining moment for him when he leaned back onto the chest of Jesus and asked him a question. And so that's my that's what that's what I would love us to consider throughout the rest of today. I'd love you to think what is your be like bring your true self to this question. What is your primary identity? Like I know that there's the obvious answer, but like take a hold of this, bring your true self to this. For John, it wasn't that he was a disciple, it wasn't that he was an evangelist, it wasn't that he'd all the stuff that he'd experienced, all the achievements that he'd uh, accomplished. It was that he was the one that Jesus loves. And so we can be tempted to be defined by our position, who we are, like as a leader, as a parent, as a nurse, as a student, whatever it is. We can be defined by our possessions. We can be defined by what we have, define ourselves by the things that we own. We can define ourselves by our performance, the boxes that we've ticked, how well that we are doing. I'm not suggesting that those things aren't important, that the position that you have is not important, that what's been entrusted to you is not important, that what you've done and what you've accomplished is not important. But it can't be your primary identity. It can't be the thing that defines you. I am wanting to be like John that I can say with all confidence that I could write it in every letter that I, that I would, not that I write many letters, but every message that I sent or every reflection of conversation, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I think it could change everything. In John 20 verse 4, again, I think we get an insight into uh, the transformation that had taken place in John. Because he had an understanding of who he was. Because he had this revelation that he is one that is loved by Jesus. When he found out the news that Jesus was alive. Like he didn't wait around. He ran. He ran as fast as he could. He wanted to beat Peter, it was really important to him that he be the other disciple that he outran him. He ran to Jesus. And then I think something had happened in Peter. Like it's never Jesus came. Like Peter could have defined himself as many of us unfortunately I think do. We define Peter as the denier. We define him as the one who disappointed. We define him as the one who was a coward. We define him as one who had failed. But the present risenness of Jesus on the shore caused him to throw off his outer garment and get out of the boat and run and splash his way to Jesus. Peter, do you love me? That's all I want to know. Like we're not even going to go back over that some of that stuff. I just want to know, do you love me? 
so I think we, that's what happens. That is the posture of our lives when we bring our true selves. We run toward him when you know that you're loved. And I think the prodigal son, like we could take weeks looking at that story. Even if you just begin to turn toward him. Even if you just begin to intentionally make your way toward him. He'll even do the running. Like he, that was like, it was, a, it was brought shame to a father to do what he did. But because he'd seen that his boy had just had turned toward him, that was enough for him to lift up his dress and run. And he ran toward him and he took on the shame and that's what he'll continue to do. When you just turn toward him, he sees you intentionally turning toward him, he'll take on the shame, he'll do the running. All of us are in the room or rather going from him or we're going toward him. My heart is that we would be so, we get such a revelation of who we are that we cannot help but turn toward him. As we some of the songs we were singing today, that we would know you, God. I don't know if I sang it or not, but it was just the refrain of my heart. God, I know that as I begin to know you more, I fully know who I am in light of that. And that's the type of cycle that I want to get involved in. So, Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that we would be courageous enough to bring our true selves to our, ultimately to our relationship with you, but also to our relationships with one another. God, you release us from the, the false self that we, can, that we become so tempted to bring to you. The imposter. The imposter lives in fear. We don't want to live in fear. So God, we bring our true selves and say, come Lord Jesus. Yeah, and we, as we've sang, you tear the veil. You tear the veil and let us know how you see us. Experience the rich lavishing of your love upon us in Jesus' name.